I feel the need, the need for a podcast exploring the films and career of Tom Cruise. Welcome to Cruise Views. It doesn't actually do the da da bit. Yeah, no, it does doesn't. It? I think that that would be the um, that would be the lawsuit. Instant cease and desist. Yeah, yeah. That's the only bit they care about. Okay, <laughs> right. Da da. But we've done it. We've done it vocally now, so we're going to get it anyway. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Well, well hang on. What if we went da 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 da? There you go. Because then the bits that there go up go up. They go down. Yeah. And the bits that go down go up. That's how exactly. we avoided it beforehand, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Yes watertight welcome to cruise views <laughs> the podcast exploring the films and career of tom cruise this week we're discussing the color of money i am tom ashford and i am joined by a man who can sink his balls into my pocket anytime <laughs> adam scott glass ball i couldn't finish it i couldn't finish it. i hate that face. i hate that so much it's awful, but at the same time, I'm so proud of it. I bet you are. Yeah, I yeah. bet you are. Yeah. Awful. How, How are you? Doing, you? Oh. oh. I'm, I'm good. fine. How are you? Oh, good, <laughs> oh no. We're messing it up. Uh, uh, no, I'm good, man. Uh, look, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It doesn't matter because I came into possession of some information. Oh, my God. My understanding is that you have now seen... The Godfather. Yes. Talk to me. Okay. Yeah, it's good. It's a good film, isn't it? Great. Okay, so should we move on to... <laughs> no, Did you, no. you went to see it at the cinema, though, right? As, as the 50th anniversary no, thing. No, I was going to, but I couldn't... Tom, I couldn't you promised! My, I, I, didn't, I remember not promising. I remember you telling me to do it and me going, I don't know if I want to commit a three-hour film plus an hour worth of walking each way because I don't want to take the car. I like the fresh air. And Were half an hour trailers. And- Hour to the cinema. No, 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 no. It's, it's half. It's twenty-five minutes each way. So you said an hour each way. No, oh, sorry, I meant an hour round trip. But it's fifty minutes. Sure. Round <laughs> round up, mate. Round up. Sometimes the traders are forty minutes. You think you think it's going to be thirty, and it's even longer. Fine, fine. But you watched you watched it at home then. Yeah, I watched it at home. Um, and yeah, I did really like it. I I gave it nine out of ten, four and a half stars. On the basis, good movie, isn't it? It is a good movie. It is a good movie. Uh, it's not necessarily a film that I will rush to see again. Sure. Purely because, uh, as a person who's seen it for the first time in 2022, as opposed to 1972, it's not necessarily got the pacing to like make me jump back in straight away. If it makes if that makes sense, maybe in that, five five years time or something. Yeah. But. That pace is the pace that I love. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I think it's the perfect pace for the film. That's not mm. a ju- that's not a judgment on the film. It's just it's something like. So I recently saw the Batman in the cinema, right? And I gave that uh, four oh, stars. Batman. We're on the Batman already. No, no, no. Right. Okay. I'm not going to yeah. talk about Batman, but I'm okay. saying they're, they're I've both, not seen it. They're both about three hours long, right? So they're both long films. The Batman is longer than yes. the Godfather. Yeah, but it, I am insane. Pro- but I am probably <laughs> more likely to rewatch the Batman. Before I rewatch The Godfather, even though The Godfather is a better film purely because The Batman is more engaging from a sort of modern filmmaking. And f- I'm, I'm assuming that it's more quote unquote entertaining exactly. than, than The Godfather yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, you have to be in the mood for The Godfather. I'm always in the mood for The Godfather. Um, it, I, I I love it. I, what I would also say, Tom, and I, I think you might find this interesting, I have never had a conversation with somebody who has seen The Godfather who didn't prefer it the second time round. Okay. So uh, you don't have to do it immediately. A second watch is always good. Can you believe that Tom Ashford's not even seen The Godfather twice? Unbelievable. <laughs> oh Twitter will be ablaze. They're with going to be livid. <laughs> chastising you well, for not even having well, seen The Godfather can, twice. Well, now they could be livid because I haven't seen The Godfather Part 2. That is mental because it is also better. Yeah. Uh, it's better and longer. I know. Uh, yeah. That's not, it doesn't have to work that way, Adam. It doesn't have to be better and longer. It doesn't have to be, but it just is. It just is. I mean, I, I mean, we can talk. I mean, Al Pacino in The Godfather, an incredible performance. Yes. Marlon Brando in The Godfather, incredible. an incredible performance. Yeah. Everybody in that movie is so incredible. Do you know what Godfather Part 2 adds to the cast? Robert De Niro. Robert fucking De Niro, yeah. I my be friend. Honest, I didn't realise that he only came in in Part 2, so I did start oh. watching this film and be like... When's De Niro coming in? Which character, which role is he going to fit? Like, this doesn't make sense. So do you know what role he plays? Yes. Yeah, I do. Because there, there's the dual narrative of yeah, Godfather yeah, Part yeah. 2, which makes it so compelling. I'm going to watch The Godfather Part 2 when we finish. We're not here to talk about The Godfather no. Part 2. We're not here to talk about The Godfather. We're here to talk about the 1986 movie, The Colour of Money. Not the original version of... <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. the money in the world. All the money in the world, yeah. This yeah. is a sequel. Now, weirdly, this is like... We, we've talked... Have we talked about legacy sequels? We have, right? I don't know if we've done it in any detail. like any. Like, but any but things like Ghostbusters Afterlife and Star Wars The Force Awakens, those kind of legacy sequel things, we're, we're both aware of them. Yeah, yeah, we haven't discussed them on air, I don't think. Isn't, isn't The Colour of Money like a weird... Early version it's of a like legacy sequel. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, ori- it's the original so- legacy sequel. It's it's a really <laughs> weird scenario for this film to be made. Yeah, yeah. Really odd. Um. Well, well I guess I guess we'll get into that as as we go into the movie. Um. It was released on October the seventeenth, nineteen eighty six, which is almost exactly five months after Top Gun. Mm. So. Big, big year for Tom Cruise. Huge blockbuster. And then this, uh, I guess, what kind of movie would you say this is? It's, it's, it's a drama. It's got kind of a little bit of a prestige behind it, maybe. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I genuinely don't know what I would describe the genre as. A good film. A good film. Drama slash sports is what yeah. it comes up on, uh, on, uh, on Disney+, Plus, where I assume we both watched this of course yeah i think yes. it is it is a drama ultimately because it is essentially what well, is literally a, a character study yeah yeah that's absolutely. the main thing that's, although it seems to be caught between studying three uh characters doesn't it? look we're getting into film analysis yeah in most other places it wasn't released in 1986 it was released in 1987 mm. uh, including the uk which is march i think it's directed Let's get some gaps. Let's get some gaps going, Tom. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. What do we know about Martin Scorsese, Tom? Come on. He's made some films, hasn't he? He's made some films, Tom. What's your favourite Martin Scorsese film, Tom? Oh, my God. Well, I've seen The Irishman, and it was too long. It'll be that then. Yeah. Uh, 
Not too long. Not too long. Four hours is a good length for a movie. <laughs> I watched it in two two sessions, two evenings yeah, back to I, back. Yeah, I did have to watch it. In, uh, well, I had a quarter of an hour break in the middle, like an intermission. Right. Um, okay. At this point in 1986, and I'm curious to hear how many of these you've seen. I think yeah. we'll have a repeat Godfather situation. Oh, I imagine so. In 1986, he had spent the previous 10 years making Taxi Driver, Raging, oh, Raging Bull. Haven't seen. The King of Comedy. Seen. And he was just coming off the back of After Hours. Uh, in the next 10 years from 1986, he will go on to make The Last Temptation of Christ, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, The Age of Innocence, and Casino. Um, obviously, more recently, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, yep. The Irishman. And even more recently, he's been playing the role of the enemy of all MCU stands. Yes. Uh, because he... Uh, I mean, I can't... Do we even want to bother? Do we want to bother? I think so, because I think it ties into what we were literally just discussing regarding The Godfather, is that Scorsese clearly views cinema as being... It's just got to be, like, pure art. It, it's, it's about how good it is. It doesn't matter about audience enjoyment necessarily. Uh, and obviously that's not a criticism of his films because his films are critically acclaimed so they're very enjoyable and you know very well made um, but I think it's overlooking the fact that films can be made solely for enjoyment purposes I don't think that he's arguing that uh, that films can't be made solely for entertainment no. purposes but he's splitting them down the middle as like this is one kind this is true cinema and this is like a theme park ride was his words I believe I don't even like. Uh, I don't even think it was it was that as like as as drastic as as we're making out. Um, he he just said I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. And it's difficult to argue with him. Yeah, because those movies are all about plot and the twist in the plot and how all the movies tie together. They aren't necessarily about human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. And all of Martin Scorsese's movies are about human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. Yeah. Um, And obviously that makes complete sense why Scorsese wouldn't necessarily enjoy that and love to see people who aren't critically acclaimed directors can also not enjoy the MCU and that's absolutely fine mm. um, but I still feel that's kind of missing the point in some ways because I think the reason people go and see the superhero movies is because they want an escape from deep psychological analysis of like a normal person's life if that makes sense can you not have both you can have both and you can have very very good film like Avengers Endgame is a it's critically fairly well acclaimed it's not necessary it's not like the, it's not going to be hailed as the godfather in 50 years time but it it did get insanely good reviews i would say that it is you could do a qualification on that and you could kind of say that i mean i really liked avengers endgame i think that avengers endgame is the godfather of superhero movies yeah it's long, it's dramatic. There aren't loads of action sequences in Avengers Endgame, and I don't think Martin Scorsese has watched <laughs> no. Avengers Endgame. And I'm not even really defending the MCU, because they are kind of 
they are theme park rides. They are, right? Yeah. You get on and you have a good time for however long it lasts and then you get off and you don't really think about it again. No. Um, Unless and you're a really big super fan. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 like us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But 100%. Um, yeah. I, I just... I, the thing is, is, is I think back to like old blockbusters, like huge movies. Think about Spielberg. Yeah. Think about Jaws and you think about E.T. And you realise you can have both. Yeah. You can have these like fantastically entertaining movies that are about the psychological communication between human beings or between a human being and a shark or and yeah. a human boy and an alien. But, you know, I, I'm being slightly facetious there, but I think you can do both. And I think the MCU doesn't. No. And I do think that they are actually not even as good as some previous blockbusters. But the thing that fucking winds me up the most is the, the Ferrari around it because no one could go like what's well, mine Scorsese look at the films he makes of course he doesn't quite understand the MCU or understand the appeal of the MCU even though in his quote he goes out of his way to say he thinks that they're well made yeah um the the response from a lot of the hardcore MCU fans is well he's just jealous that his films never make a billion dollars and as if Martin Scorsese cares about how much yeah. money any of his film has made. The guy who is like so purely into filmmaking because of the art of it. Yeah. Rather than any of like the commerciality. Also, like the directors for the. I'm, I'm no doubt the directors of a lot of Marvel films are very well re, you know, reimbursed for their time. Mm. But they're not the ones making a billion dollars. Disney makes a billion dollars. Yeah. The, the director makes a very healthy fee. I bet Martin Scorsese makes a very like gets a very healthy fee for his films. Oh, oh, he absolutely does. Yeah. But I think that um there's been such focus on like how big is your opening weekend and mm. the race. You know, we all got caught up on it for Endgame, the oh, race yeah. to the the largest grossing movie of all time, you know. It was quite fun to watch. It's it's weird that a lot of MCU stands and I'm not even including casual fans in this, but they just seem to like fixate on this franchise is so successful, which means it must be good. Right, yeah. Which I don't necessarily think is the case because Silence made very little money and it's yeah. one of the best films I've seen in the last 10 years. And loads of people like Coldplay and they're shit. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. The argument summed up. There you up. go. There you yeah. go. No, but like, but yeah, like I don't think popularity, well, obviously it's not. I mean, the Venom movies made lots of money, and they are objectively bad. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. nothing. Nothing wrong. Objectively with bad. No, they are okay. <laughs> they are as near to objectively bad as a superhero could be said to be bad. Superhero film could be said to be bad in comparison to the other films be, that have been made in the last twenty years. They are definitely some of the worst superhero films. But there's nothing wrong with someone subjectively loving those films, and in that sense, if they do. The directors succeeded. That's true. That is true. Uh, at, at the end of the day, though, uh, Martin Scorsese also made those comments while he was promoting The Irishman. So, you know, I mean, yeah. there was probably a degree of promotion behind it because suddenly people who weren't usually talking about Martin Scorsese were talking about Martin Scorsese, you know. And that is my least favourite of his films that I've seen. Uh, interesting. Well, from, from the list that we have, like, what, what have you seen? I'm Taxi Driver. So you've it's seen Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, The Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street. 
There might have been another one. Goodfellas. No, I actually haven't. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you, you should you should see but Goodfellas. I, I I, I'm not that. a huge fan of Goodfellas, to be honest. No, that, I hadn't seen that for the exact same reason that I hadn't seen The Godfather, in the sense that it's like a gangster movie that people say is very good, but I'm not actually that bothered about gangster movies. So the incentive to sit down and put that much time behind it is not a big draw. No, it's Are you not- glad you've seen The Godfather now, though? Oh, yeah. Like, I always wanted to have seen The Godfather. It was just putting aside two hours 47 or whatever to, to actually watch it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad. And I will watch number two, and I'll watch number three. Interestingly, you having not seen Goodfellas, having not seen Temptation of Christ, having not seen Raging Bull, you have seen The King of Comedy, and I'm going to make an assumption that you saw it off the back of Joker. Yes, at some I point after seeing the Joker, yes. or around yeah. that time, either before or immediately after, or something. But yes, it would have been around that. That, time. that makes sense. People who've seen both will know why. Yes, it's the same fucking film. <laughs> it's the same movie. <laughs> um, whereas Taxi Driver I watched purely because I knew it was meant to be amazing and I actually wanted to watch it. It wasn't other people saying it was amazing. It was like, I know this is going to be amazing and it sounds great. So I watched it. And Taxi I th- Driver I think I gave it just... five stars. Like oh, I, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant... I think that's my favourite of his films. It's so incredible. And it's it's one of those films where, like, you hear how incredible it is, so you're hyped up going into it, but it, it just lives up to it. It's just yeah. it's just so it's so good. Uh, it's so good. We should, yeah, when we're done with Tom Cruise, let's do De Niro. That'd be a fucking, oh my God. Be a fucking podcast, wouldn't it? Jesus. We get to do Taxi Driver and Meet the Parents. No. Uh, anyway, the, my point is, in the 10 years before Colour of Money, he'd done Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, uh, and the King of Comedy. Now, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull are two, you know, they're widely regarded as some of the best films of all time. Yeah. So even in 1986, there is a level of prestige behind Martin Scorsese, but also excitement, um, because although he is established, he is also still in his slightly more, like, experimental phase, uh, and also starting to influence other directors. And no doubt this was a huge draw for... The guy we're here to talk all about, Tom Cruise. Like, Tommy of C. course, of course, Tommy C wants to work with Martin Scorsese in 1986. Um, we're still on the details, Tom. It's written by Richard Price, <laughs> based on the novel by Walter Tevis, uh, who who wrote the book for The Hustler. Also, the book The Color of the Money is a sequel to his book The Hustler. The Hustler was adapted into a film starring Paul Newman. This is kind of the the sequel to The Hustler, also starring Paul Newman. And, and it's worth noting that the book was written about the same time gap between The Hustler being written and The Colour of Money being written as the film adaptations, which happened like two years after each. Yes, The the Hustler was written in the 50s. And, and no, is that right? Is it the 50s or the 60s? I think it was 19, maybe in 1959. It might be in a 1959 okay. written book. And then The Hustler is like early 60s, 1961. Maybe. Okay, uh, and um, I haven't actually seen The Hustler. Uh, you have seen I The have. Hustler, right? You, you, you researched yes. The Hustler for this. We'll get onto that in a bit. But then, yes, the book, The Colour of Money, was released in the 80s and then adapted uh, in, in, in the 80s. It stars Paul Newman. Yep. Who is just... The greatest. A legend. <laughs> like, <laughs> at this point, he had been in The Young Philadelphians, The Hustler, mm-hmm. HUD, Torn Curtain, Cool Hand Luke, The Towering Inferno, The Verdict, which is one of my favourite films of all time, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Sting, and these are all, like, you know, 
to crib the the word from Martin Scorsese, legendary pieces of cinema. Yeah. And then after The Color of Money, he does a few other films, but the most notable one is maybe Road to Perdition, the Tom Hanks, Sam Mendes gangster movie. So Color of Money and Road to Perdition, as I see them, are kind of his elder swan song films, yeah. I reckon. It's kind of him bowing out a little bit, unless you count Cars 3, which is officially... His last credit. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, at the the point when you've made Cars Three, you might as well die. Well, yeah. I mean, he died in two thousand eight. I think Cars Three is actually archival yeah. recordings. Yeah. It's not well, even. I was going to uh, say before yeah. watching The Hustler, and I don't know how this has happened because I have always known who Paul Newman is, unlike someone yeah. like Francis Ford Coppola, who I know I knew of but couldn't dare risk saying the wrong film. Mm. Like mm. I knew who Paul Newman was. And I checked his IMDb, no, sorry, the letterbox page to see how many films of his have you have you logged? And I'm sure there's a couple on there that I've like seen most of, but never logged because it's too long ago and I can't rate or whatever. Right, yeah. But the only one that came up was Cars. <laughs> I was like, Cars. how the fuck has this happened? Great. He plays a cantankerous <laughs> old car in Cars. I think I think it's one of his last roles, yeah. right? Yeah. So it stars Paul Newman, Tom Cruise. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, Helen Shaver, and John Turturro. So, Tom Cruise, having been top billed in his last five films, with one of them being top fucking gun, goes for second billing here, right? Well, you would if you were going up next to Paul Newman, the star of The Hustler. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and this thing. And so, like, no doubt... Scorsese was a draw, but Paul fucking Newman. Paul Newman is such a movie star, but he does these like quiet roles and he's funny. And I think Tom Cruise just wanted to learn from him and was quite happy to be like, no, I'll take I'll take the fucking second billing to work with work with Paul Newman. Absolutely. Which is is quite a clever move from Tom Cruise. You know, he's he's very savvy about, about the parts that he picks. And he does it again and again and again in his, his career. He takes second billing to people like Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man or is part of an ensemble with Jack Nicholson or, or Gene Hackman just because he wants to learn from these, like, legends of 60s, 70s cinema, you know. Um, there's nothing especially interesting about the production. It's shot in and around Chicago over 49 days. Uh, I find it slightly interesting that they used actual pool halls instead of building sets, which I think adds like a certain ambiance to the film in the same way that Taxi Driver was all shot on the streets of New York. You know, it's it's a similar kind of thing. Obviously, Tom Cruise practiced pool for hours and hours and hours at his own home. All of the trick shots, like the no-look pot and the curve ball, that's all him. Uh, there was only one that isn't him, and it's the the chip shot yes. uh, towards the end of the movie, which Scorsese said, I think Tom Cruise could learn how to do that, but there just wasn't time in the schedule yeah. for him to like put time aside to do that. Um, had, had you seen this before, Tom? No, I had not. Hence, hence why I thought it was a completely different film before we did this podcast. <laughs> yeah, of um, course. No, I had not. And to be honest, I don't think I'd... Aside from obviously having seen the poster, like, or, you know, on... Disney Plus or wherever it was, um, I didn't really know it existed. You know, I, I obviously mistook it for all the money in the world at some point 
but it was just another film that I scrolled past. Probably didn't even know that Tom Cruise was in it. I had a, I had a similar journey. I had seen this before, right? But not because I knew it was a Tom Cruise movie, because I was on a Paul Newman hype, right? Uh, I had watched Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and then I watched The Sting, and then I watched The Verdict. Uh, the Verdict, by the way, you've got to watch The Verdict. He's incredible in that. Um, and then I was just looking for other things that were streaming that had Paul Newman in it. And it was this. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, Tom Cruise is in this movie. It was like a couple of years ago. I always used to confuse this movie with The Colour Purple. Right. A- another easy thing. The, the Steven yeah. Spielberg uh, slave uh, drama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very um, different films. Very different films. Yeah. Why do you think, like, why... So I haven't seen The Hustler, right. Tom. You've seen The Hustler. I know. Which Twitter will go tell, mental about. Because how tell have you me not about, seen The Hustler, Adam? I'll have seen it by the time this fucking episode comes <laughs> yeah. out, I swear to God. Um, why, why? Talk to me about The Hustler. Okay. Now, it's difficult to talk to you about The Hustler without maybe betraying what I thought about this film. Right. But I think The Hustler is an even better film than this film. Though, to echo what we've been discussing so far... I prefer this film. Mm. I, I gave. I think. Shall I give a bit of a rundown about what happens in the Hustler before we go in, or do you want me to avoid doing that so that you can watch it fresh? No, no, no. You okay. go ahead. You go ahead. So I'll do a very abridged version because also I didn't make any notes because I just wanted to absorb it to better be informed. Mm. You know, and also you can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, no. So uh, Paul Newman plays Fast Eddie. Um, who basically goes from pool hall to pool. Hang on. Where's, where, that's the same character as he plays in this I, one. I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. Okay, okay. Surprising okay. enough, it's a very similar character, Adam. Who does Tom Cruise play in The Hustler? He plays a fetus. <laughs> I don't think he was even born, you know. No. Oh, um, no, actually, he might have literally been a fetus. It was yeah. 20 years before Endless Love, and I think he was like, what, 1920? He was born in 1920. Yeah, which was wow. which was 20 years ago. He's really old. Well, it was only 20, really, it was only 20 well, years. It's the 20s. Yeah. It's the 20s. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ, what has happened to this? Um, right. So, anyway, the Hustler. So Paul Newman plays Fast Eddie, and he goes from Paul Hall to Paul Hall with a partner who's an older guy. Jackie Gleason. Uh, oh, God, I can't even remember if that is. Jack Gleason, did he play Minnesota Fats? Yes. Okay, then it's not him. Okay. So he goes from pool hall to pool hall and random bars. Do you know what, Tom? What? Tom, I'm going to shut up. Yeah, yeah, and let you talk. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to okay. do that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. all right. So yeah, so he's going to pool hall to pool hall with this older guy who is his partner, not romantic partner, as we'll discuss in uh, the episode cocktail. Um, but just a, another man, and not a platonic relationship with another man who's older, and uh, essentially they go to play pool and. Um, Paul Newman's character, Fast Eddie, pretends to be really shit. So the partner keeps placing bets and winning. And obviously the money's just switching hands between two people who share the same pot anyway, but no one knows that. Uh, And so eventually he'll do like a good trick or something. He'll, he'll, He'll pot a ball really impressively, but he's pretending to be drunk. Or even at this point, he might be drunk, but he's just that good. He's hustling. Yeah. And then other people start, he, his, his partner refuses to place the bet. Okay. So maybe you misunderstood me. I know what a hustler no, is. I, know. I want to know about the hustler. I'm building up, mate. The I'm movie. Up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so then people will then like place the bets and he'll destroy them and get loads of money. 
Yeah, yeah no, I understand. No, I know. I'm, this is for the listeners. That's this in this for you. movie. But that's in this movie. <laughs> you need to know this because otherwise you won't know what Paul Newman's character's doing, Adam. Fine. Our listeners might not have li- watched both films. I haven't watched both films. I understand what Paul Newman's doing in this movie. Well, anyway, I'm not talking about this movie. Adam, I'm talking about the last movie. Right. Okay, fine. And anyway, Paul, Paul Newman's not doing this at this movie in, in The Colour of Money right now. No, but but he, he takes on the... The elder yes. role. So it's a mirroring right, yeah. of that, which is why I mentioned that yeah. character's dynamic, because it actually doesn't yeah. play that much later in the film. But it's very important at the beginning. Anyway, he then goes up and tries to beat Minnesota, Minnesota Fats, who's like the best poor player in the area or the country or something, but he's a legendary player. Uh, and does manage to beat him, but gets really, really drunk doing so and goes from being $18,000 up to losing all his money. Right. Uh, and just basically that is his fall from grace. That's the Tom Cruise style. He's really good at something and then he fucks it up and now he's really shit. And there's a kind of a, it's a, it really goes into character development in the, in the middle. It's like a character study of like addiction to being really good at something, both to gambling and alcohol to some extent and to being like so good at something that you feel like you have to like be, you have to be using that skill and the, the, yeah, the addiction surrounding that. Um, I find that I found that the film maybe sagged a little bit in the middle because it kind of fell into that. Uh, I don't think, again, as I mentioned before, I don't think that is a criticism of the film. I think that's because it's 1961 and it has a different pace, you know, to to the films that may, I enjoy more. I'm not a huge fan of like the old black and white films, even though I think they can be amazing and there's certainly parts of that I love. It's not necessarily my my vibe. Um, Uh, And essentially, eventually he gets another manager who then um, builds him back up uh, and to the point where he can, uh, his his girlfriend kills herself. It's all a bit bleak and it's a bit weird in the middle. And then he goes back and beats Minnesota Fats. Uh, But in doing so is then told by this manager who also seems to run a lot of different hustlers and stuff in the area that he can never go into another pool hall ever again because he refuses to pay his 50% to the manager because the girlfriend died and it was the manager's fault and all that. So it's it's basically a big tragedy of this guy who's so focused on his ability and his addiction towards being the best at something that the life around it, his relationships around him crumble with his original manager, with the new manager, the, that's probably a good thing, with the girlfriend he's got, and then he can't ever go back and actually perform, play Paul ever again. That sounds interesting. That sounds really. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch it's that a, this week. It's a good film. Um, it's a good film. Th- that that is the one piece of information I was looking for. Actually, is 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 if in the original film he was run out of pool yes. pools because it's referenced in this. Yes, film. and it's only referenced in a few lines. Like they don't make yeah. a big thing about it. But obviously, if you've seen the original, it all makes a lot of sense why everything's happening. Well, this is the thing. This is a pure legacy sequel. Yeah. And whilst Martin Scorsese will never direct a superhero movie or a Star Wars legacy sequel, he has done like one of the original legacy yeah. sequels, whether he likes it or not. Because this movie, 100%, and I'm a testament to this because I like this movie, can be enjoyed on its own. Yep. Uh, but features characters and themes and plot points from a movie that came 20 years before it. Um, which is interesting, I think. Uh I assume Martin Scorsese is a huge fan of The Hustler. I couldn't find anything on that, but I uh, I assumed that he was. He, he very specifically wanted it to be written as less of a sequel than the book was, even. Yes. I think they 
they took some stuff out i think um let's talk about the movie um uh, it opens with uh, a voiceover by martin scorsese yeah I thought at first it was I thought it was Tom Cruise doing a voice, and I was like, "Oh, is he doing an accent? A slightly Irish American? What's going on here?" Oh no, it's Martin Scorsese. Fine. Yeah, you cannot mistake Martin Scorsese's voice, um, but it's it's over like a close up of a cigarette burning. It's very tonal. Look, Scorsese man, he's so into he's so into cinema. Yeah. You know, and and all of the ways that that pronunciation, all, all of the things that that brings up, you know, cinema. You know, he's a big fan of silent uh, cinema. He's a big fan of foreign cinema. He has a whole series of films that he has rescued from being destroyed because he just loves the medium of film so much. And there's so many references in all of his films to uh, classic uh, movies. It's it's all the way through this. One of his most famous is. At the end of Goodfellas, completely unconnected from the rest of the movie, Joe Pesci's character looks directly into the camera with a completely black background. He uh, holds up a pistol and he fires it a number of times into the audience, which is a direct reference to like the 1920s silent film, The Great Train Robbery, which happens at the end of that film. Nothing to do with Goodfellas. Martin Scorsese just loves cinema so much he puts shit like that in. And yeah. there's all sorts of stuff like that with the way that pool balls move around tables and you get like these intense shots of pool balls and stuff. All throughout the movie, he's referencing cinema. Um, so it's a very tonal opening with this like smoky cigarette burning in an ashtray. And of course, it's Scorsese, so... He also loves needle drops. Like, there's so many needle drops in all of his movies. So much popular music, so much classic music. Um, but but the real way that we open is... I mean, it's Paul Newman just yeah. sat at a bar, and you just look at him and you go, well, that's a fucking movie star, and, isn't and it? And it's not even just that. Like, you see a hand, and it's just like yeah, making a woman drink a shot. And you think, okay, yeah. any other circumstance, this is a this is not necessarily going to be play out well. Like if it, under a different director in a different time, etc. And then, it, like the camera pans back, and it's Paul Newman. So it's the classiest thing that's ever fucking happened in a film. Oh my god, Paul fucking Newman! I just I went through such a Paul Newman hype. Uh, he's like, we're not breaking any new ground here, Tom. Paul Newman's amazing. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast, like not this episode, the, the like right at the beginning episode, mm. like Tom Cruise is like one of the last movie stars of the classic star definition. Yeah, but Paul Newman has the exact same effect, but even like amplified, like way more charming and like suave at this point. But like the sense that the camera pans up and it's just Paul Newman sat at a table and immediately it's like this is a good film. Yes, exactly. Like just exactly. That, just him being there and the charm he's exuding is just like, if I get to watch this guy for two hours, it's going to be good. Well, Tom, you know, you've hit on something there. There's a narrative to this film and there's a meta narrative to this film and they're kind of the same. Mm. And it's the older pool hustler passing the torch to the younger generation of pool hustlers. And the meta narrative is a, a classic movie star passing the torch to the new movie star tom cruise yeah uh, which uh, it just adds a whole other sort of like dimension uh to this movie i think but you're right he's making a uh a woman drink whiskey because he seems to be selling counterfeit whiskey this is the thing 
Paul Newman can make anything look cool. He's not a cool guy in this. He's selling no. counterfeit whiskey to a bar, and he's kind of lame, and he's, like, down and out. But Paul Newman just plays it off as though it's the coolest thing in the world. And his protege is, like, his protege is playing pool and keeps coming back to him for more steak. Yeah. Played by and John Turturro, who i just seen in The Batman. Yeah. Oh, he's in the Batman, is yeah. he? Okay, great. Every, he gets around. Batman. Yeah. yeah. He's 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 mostly in uh, Coen Brothers movies. I fucking mm. love, I fucking love Coen Brothers. Um, he he keeps losing. He's like, I've got him on the ropes. Don't worry, I've got him because obviously John Turturro's character is he's he's a hustler. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, it's this fucking guy. And it, Tom Cruise's entrance, you know, he's obviously playing Tom Cruise. Is he's like this insane energy at the arcade game, and it turns out Tom Cruise is actually hustling the protege but he's his name is vince he has insane energy right yeah big tom cruise energy (laughs) (laughs) big tom cruise hair big tom cruise hair big tom cruise energy horrible earring Oh god! Horrible little diamond stud yeah. thing. But he's like going wah wah with yeah. the uh, with the pool it's, cue. He's using it like a nunchuck. Yeah, and he's really cocky. And I think at this stage of his career, Tom Cruise is basically made for this part. Yeah. Right? Um, it sets up Vince's character quite early as being incredibly cocky, but incredibly good at pool. Um, Totoro character who i don't know the character name of surprise surprise i'm not sure what the character name is no, tom I've, I've got him down as john totoro yeah john totoro he yeah. wants to leave vince uh just wants to play to play he's like just give me your best game you know yeah. i'll even i'll even be the only one gambling you know if 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 i if, if you win you get 50 dollars uh if i win I, I get nothing and that kind of uh peaks uh eddie uh who played by paul newman peaks eddie's interest he offers $500 and immediately catches out Vince's girlfriend who is kind of running the hustle for him because it's too much money and she doesn't know what to do. She's like just kind of not really sure what to do with that and Paul Newman like instantly catches her out uh, and the dialogue is so good. Like we've just talked about Martin Scorsese talking about how like cinema is supposed to be about people kind of like, you know, their their like psychological experiences or just the cinema of two people talking to one another he's so good at it like mm. and he's so happy to just like lock the camera down and let it play out and there's so many movies where a, a conversation between two people is shot of one person speaking cut to shot of the next person speaking cut to shot of the next person speaking the MCU is really bad for that actually just only shooting in coverage this He'll just have a two-shot of both the characters and they're talking to each other. And you can feel the chemistry and the energy between them. And the whole movie lives and dies on that energy. And I think I've heard Martin Scorsese talk about wanting to make bigger movies now, but you just can't. Because the movie industry is no longer a place where people are happy to do loads and loads and loads and loads of takes until the actors get it right. You know, until the energy is right. It's got to be like, well, we've only got the green screen for an hour, so we need to lock it down and move on. Mm. Um, And you can just tell that this movie came out of loads of uh, rehearsing and the actors vibing with each other. And I'm going to shut up because we're only about five shots into the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's five and like 40 minutes into an episode. We've covered literally Paul Newman looks suave and Tom Cruise spins a cue around. (laughs) 
which is basically the whole movie, so we might as well stop. Yeah. Um, he uh, Eddie takes the couple to dinner, and of course, Vincent is the best at pool. Like this is another Tom Cruise movie where he is the best at some something. Oh, yeah. But he labels him as a flake. He's like, "You're a flake, and that's a gift." But it's you don't know you're doing it. Like you're not putting it on. You pe- people hate you because of kind of who you are, (laughs) which is a devastating thing to say to someone. But obviously Eddie is like, I can use this person to make money. Um, Which is, we should probably maybe point out a recurring theme of this entire film is people using other people and trying trying to better the other person at the thing that they are passionate about. There is not a single scene in this movie where I wasn't, trying to work out the motivation of a character or yeah. where they're coming from or who's trying to hustle who. Yeah. You know, like even just simple conversations, you're like, okay, but what's their angle for saying that kind of thing to that person? It's, uh, it's very, it made me very paranoid <laughs> in the yeah. movie. Um, he, take, he takes them out to dinner. And of course, the movie is about Tom Cruise making this movie. He's learning from an old legend. And Paul Newman's really playing it up. He does that thing where he's like, he bets he can leave with a woman, but he's actually hustling Tom Cruise because he yeah. knew the woman and he's just like, hey, just come look at my car. Um, and he's also set up as a bit of a Lothario. He's he's in bed with the woman that he was selling whiskey to and they seem to have like a casual uh, sort of relationship kind of going on, although he's not he's not tied to her and doesn't seem to be tied to anything, right? No, no, I don't, yeah. I think, I think he treats it seriously i think he treats the relationship seriously but at the same time because he's fast eddie he mm. he can't be seen to necessarily treat it too seriously like i think they are in a monogamous relationship but he likes to give the illusion that he's like i'm he's so popular cool. with the ladies yeah exactly he doesn't want yeah. to come across too like committed because that would be you know going against type and the image that he's trying to curate and and yeah all the sort of vibe of i've got to be the best you can't be the best if you're uh, essentially strung strung down by a significant other and thinking about other things. That's true, but then, like, what is he even the best at at this point in his life? Selling whiskey? Yeah, I, I don't. It's know. a bit of a sad kind of life that he that he is leading, and I think that the events of this movie, like, well, they they reinvigorate him, don't they? Well, yeah. Um, I think, given that he's been told twenty five years earlier that he can't ever go in a pool hall ever again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I should point out in the, in the hustler, he has his thumbs broken for hustling at one point. <laughs> oh, okay. By people that are, it's suggested are also under the, the the thumb, as it were, of the manager. He then comes into contact with later on in the film. Oh, okay. So it's very much there's there's a criminal element to it, and um, okay. So he it's very much a, a real threat of. Don't come back. Fully and do spoiled the... this movie for me. <laughs> oh, it won't spoil it. You'll love it. No, I. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't actually care about. But but spoilers. it's it's definitely a case of it's not just like oh you can't and then he's kind of gone oh okay I guess I won't. It's very much a he can't go back yeah. and he would yeah, be yeah. famous and people do know who he is in that circuit even now. It's just he literally can't. <laughs> so I suppose like the the technicality of this movie is like well I'm not playing pool. He's he's getting someone else to kind of play pool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, and until later. I also imagine that really he probably could have gone back earlier because I imagine the other people are dead or very, very old at this point. Right, okay, yeah, that's true. 25 years past, you're probably not thinking, I've desperately got to get back and play pool. 
But then... Until the spark As we find out later in the movie, yeah, yeah, he, like, loves... Anyway, look, anyway. Tom Cruise is playing Vince. He has a girlfriend called Carmen. That's Mary Elizabeth Mastrantiano. Um, Carmen meets with Eddie to discuss Vince. Yeah. Because Vince kind of blew Eddie off. Um, but they want to talk about, like, making some serious money because, of course, Carmen runs the hustles on behalf of Vince. Um, I mean... Th- Carmen has has Eddie sussed as well because she's like, yeah. well, you knew the girl from last night, so of course you left with her. Um, Paul Newman's character, Eddie, says something very interesting about Vince, which is he has to learn to be himself, but on purpose. Mm. <laughs> which is which is really funny and really uh, a really a really good line, but also um, also applies to Tom Cruise himself. After this right. movie, I think Tom Cruise learns to be himself but on purpose. Um, Carmen says that Vince is sweet, um, and we're kind of setting up that it takes other people to know the real Vincent, and that he doesn't know himself, because Eddie kind of has Vincent sussed, Carmen has Vincent sussed, but Vincent seems very unsure of kind of who he is. And again, we're in that cinema of human psychology. Um, Which is immediately shown in the next scene, because Eddie shows Vincent the pool cue that I believe is the one he was using literally in The Hustler. The Balabushka. Yeah, I think he was using that specific I spent this whole second viewing wondering, like, is that a reference to the first movie? Is that a reference to the first movie? Is that a reference to the first movie? I'm wondering if, like, is the Lincoln Tap Room a reference to the first movie? Was that someone somewhere he went in the first movie? There's, uh, I think... The Chalkies, yes, yeah, I think so. I think so. We'll the get- one that's now a furniture. Yes. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll yeah, get into okay. it. Okay, yeah, yeah. There are there are lots of little nods. Eddie goes to visit Vince at his sales job. Oh yeah, yeah. He's doing the full Tom Cruise. He's got so much charisma. He's the best at sales. They have a conversation uh, over the details. I, I, sorry, really, I love, I love the fact he's the best in sales at Child World, which yeah, definitely does not sell children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't sell children. Doesn't it sell sells children. things for children. <laughs> child world there's a really nice device where they're talking about what the details of, of, of them working together is going to be but um, his boss keeps calling him back to work it's a really clever device mm. Martin Scorsese, good director um, so yeah, then Vincent goes to visit Eddie at the bar Eddie gives him his pool cue the, the, the literal passing of the torch, this beautiful like Balabushka cue. Yeah. There's a lingering shot of the cue as he describes how beautiful it is and tries to turn it down. It's literally Paul Newman handing the keys of movie stardom to Tom Cruise. Uh, he insists. Um, and I think it becomes apparent uh, at this stage of the movie that this energetic, sort of cory, co- cocky character is not supposed to be liked. He's constantly undermined by Eddie and he's totally different in these like quiet talking scenes with Eddie. He's not his, like, front self, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think there's a misconception about people who don't like Tom Cruise always say, oh, no, he always just plays a character that's really cocky and is is good at everything. You're not supposed to kind of like that character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's a disconnect there. I I think you're supposed to be suspicious of of those kind of people. Yeah, and I... Yeah, I wouldn't say at any point in this film you're necessarily supposed to actually like anyone to some extent 
but at the same time i like you eddie. do like I eddie do like yeah. eddie no, yeah I, I think you're supposed to root for eddie mm. but eddie is still definitely not a fundamentally nice person there's always an element of game playing right in this yeah. scene where he he hands him the the ball cue he's like I think he's pretending to be on the phone and not pay that much oh, attention 100%. to Vince. Oh, 100%. I 100% yeah, yeah. thought he was pretending on the phone because he immediately just puts his hand over the thing and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, if yeah, there's exactly. someone else on the phone... It's just like, just... you're not important to me. I'm I'm doing other yeah. things as well as this. And then the next bit is him instantly playing Vince and Carmen off, off one another Yeah, to kind of push Vince to accept the deal of working with Eddie rather than only working with his girlfriend. Um. All of the scenes of them playing pool uh, are very cool. Yeah. Um, the, I've never seen the bendy pool cue before. That was very alarming, where they like hit the pool, hit hit, hit the ball so hard oh. that like it, it, it's on the table and the cue is like bent upwards. Terrifying. Um, Scorsese loves music. Right, another yeah. one of his big passions. He's made loads of documentaries about music. So, like, he made um, No Direction Home, which is a three-hour movie about Bob Dylan. Uh, he made is that another Living... Spider-Man movie? Yes, right. it is. Um, <laughs> um, he made Living in the Material World, which is a documentary about um, George Harrison. He obviously, he obviously made The Last Waltz, uh, which is about the last ever show put on by the band. He's made concert films for The Rolling Stones. He loves using contemporary music. But like as we said earlier, his filmmaking style is quite classical, right? It's yeah. like static shots or long one takes with the actors doing their thing. It can be quite jarring, and I noticed this for the first time in this bar scene, to have this classic-looking movie with 80s soft rock and power <laughs> ballads underneath the whole thing. Yeah, it does kind of... And I mean, obviously, most most films with music do date uh, immediately, but it does kind of date the film in the sense that, like, it, it like you said, it looks really classic. Yeah, and immediately you're like, it's eighties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they it even, doesn't have a timelessness to it. It's immediately eighties. They even use like um, Eric Clapton. It's in the way that you <laughs> use it, which is now used as a joke for when like someone realizes their purpose you would just like yeah. freeze frame on them and, and play it's in the way that you use it uh, yeah <laughs> there's a really nice moment uh, where john turturro uh finds out that uh, eddie has a new protege and kind of sets up the stakes from the previous movie saying like oh you're going to take him out on the road you haven't been on the road since the 60s yeah that sort of thing i was like oh okay they're just catching us up on on the previous movie yeah um his casual girlfriend, Eddie's casual girlfriend, sort of leaves him because he's going to go out on the road. And they do go out on the road. And Eddie will pay all of the expenses but takes 60% and tells Vince that sometimes when you lose, you win. Which is maybe the most important lesson from the whole film. Yeah. Also, little note, he's taking 60% and he says that like that's a really good deal. Right? That's because his old manager, the criminal one, Takes seventy five percent. Oh, so it is a good deal. It is, it a, is good a good deal. deal. I need to watch the Hustler, man. I bet I fucking love the Hustler. Um, the first stop is the Lincoln Tap Room. Now, my assumption just yeah. from the film language of it was like this is a legendary place. It might have been featured in the first movie. I feel like it might be 
the place he goes up against Minnesota Fats. Right, okay. It's difficult to tell because of the, obviously the way the original shot in black and white, it's much more, the, the, yeah. the camera angles are closer to, you know, human level than when you see anything in The Color of Money where it's it's elevated and it's like an yeah. aerial view of this warehouse, basically, furniture warehouse. Um, but I think it's where he went up against Minnesota Fats and it's supposed right. to be a big like, yeah, and then he gets up the stairs and it's just like, it's in a furniture Fuck. warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just shows that he's like, he's past it. He, like, yeah. you know, he's only familiar with the old way of doing things and the old haunts or whatever. He even gets him to leave the nice pool queue in the car because it'd be like a dead giveaway. But there was absolutely no point because it's not even a pool hall anymore. Um, Vincent, they're, they're kind of making fun of him. So they go to play at like a smaller place. And Vincent is like, um, he's losing, right? Yeah. But I think he's genuinely, like, he seems genuinely concerned. He doesn't want to take the money of the guy that has a hole in his throat. Yeah. Right? He's, he's, he, he has that um, disability. Um, the, the plan would be he loses and loses and loses and then eventually pretends to get lucky and wins and wins and wins and wins until he wins back more money than he's lost. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But he can't do it. Now, uh, it's never explicitly said in in the movie but i was wondering if the guy with the hole in the throat is uh hustling tom cruise <laughs> and kind of putting it on a little bit and and you know being like well obviously you're not going to beat me because i i have this thing kind of going on um i mean i imagine that went through scorsese's head yeah i mean it's just it, there's so many so much stuff in this movie where i'm just like is that a hustle is that a hustle is that a hustle and i think you're supposed to kind of question everything eddie tells him to lose properly and like put on a show but then secretly sends Carmen to pull the car around the front and then hides. Yeah. So he leaves Vincent without the money. And when he can't pay up, everyone chases him, starts beating him up. And uh, yeah, uh, they escape in the car. But the kind of lesson of that is like, I tell you what to do. Yeah. Like Eddie to Vince is like, I tell you to play. I tell you not to play. And the problem with mercy is that it's not professional. And I think they also say that nice guys finish last as well. Uh, yeah, a lot of life lessons, you know? Yeah. And then you get the, the really interesting, like, long-term hustle uh, on Carmen's part because Eddie visits them in their motel and can see her naked in the mirror of, of, of the motel bathroom door. And she yeah. seems kind of unfazed by it. And Paul Newman very coolly, like, walks towards her and just closes the door. But there's definitely some sexual tension there, right? Yeah, and I don't think it's... I mean, I don't think it's... it's. I mean, it's sexual, obviously, because she's deliberately revealing herself to him in a way yeah. that could be going, oh, no, that was an accident sort of thing. Well, but, yeah, it, look, it looks like an accident. Yeah. But it's obviously she... She's it, aware. It, it pays off. It yeah. pays off, doesn't it? Yeah. But I don't think... Eddie actually, I don't think he has any interest because he's so focused on the end goal. Sure, but then as as, as a viewer, as an audience member, mm. as the voyeuristic party in this exercise in pure cinema, um, I I felt uncomfortable. I was like, oh, mm. I hope they're not going to go down the route of like the older guy gets with the sure. younger woman because that's such a trope. It's such a shitty trope in movies like this. But I think within the film, Carmen is aware of that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So she is just obviously manipulating him. She's just hustling him, thinking it's a hustle. If, if I can be in control of Eddie, then I am in control of Vincent. 
Yeah, this is the thing. Is 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 everything is a hustle. It's oh, it's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, Vince is wearing his uh, t-shirt with his name on it because it's what he wears from work. Yeah, but but uh, Eddie tells him to leave it on because, Don't and he's on. absolutely right. It'll be a nice touch. Sure, sure. I'd be more concerned if the shirt had Charles World written on the back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice you know touch. He doesn't realise it says Charles World on the back. Like, oh, no. But it is so funny. Like, they go to the pool hall where he meets an old friend. Oh, I don't know if yeah. he's from the first okay, movie or yes. not. So, the pool hall that I think is the one that's closed down, but certainly the one where he beats Minnesota Fats. There, mm. And it should be pointed out that there is, I think there are two black characters in the entire film of The Hustler because it's 1961. Sure. Uh, and one of them, I think, is like a waitress or a janitor or something in like a train station or something. And the other one, the other actor is is uh, is basically playing a janitor who hand. I think his his biggest role, other than sweeping the floor, is to hand Minnesota Fats like a towel to like right. mop his brow when they're at four a.m. or something. Uh, and I noticed when I was watching um, the Hustler, I was like, okay, it was a different time. Yeah, you know, sure. right? Uh, and and then watching this, I immediately when they walked in was like, "Oh, they've they've done a deliberate thing here where they've they've gone." We did a disservice, yeah. in the hustler. So now the guy who used to sweep the floors is running Chalky's pool. Right. Hall. Okay. So that's what he was in the first. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's Chalky's pool. Hall. Gotcha. So now he's successful. Now he's got his own pool hall. Everything's all right in the world. It's still kind of like a slightly rough kind of place there right like vince even tries to send carmen home because of the kind of clientele they have mm. um, but i kind of, i kind of think that because i mean the 1961 pool halls they're not glamorous i think they look sort of bit maybe a bit more glamorous because again it's black and white shot in black and white there's very few things that don't look glamorous exactly. shot in black and white whereas yeah. i don't think the actual halls are very glamorous like i think if you'd showed that in color it would look pretty ropey yeah um but i also kind of feel that even if that is the case it kind of reflects the 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 passing of time and and the fact that it like Fast Eddie was like this playing a kind of more glamorous char- younger character in a more glamorous time etc and now he's coming back to the game and everything is a bit more run down it's not yeah yeah it's not as glamorous as it was um, it's decayed over time in the same way that he has like yeah and, he still and has the, those Paul Newman eyes but like he's yeah. so much older. Yeah. But it's also just the, the sort of like the personality, the f- the fact that 1961 you could be like, oh, I drink loads of whiskey and I gamble loads, and it's like, oh, cool. And now even in <laughs> 1986, it's still going to be a bit like, yeah, you know, it's it's losing that that sheen of that 60s, you know, yeah, the class. But it's it yeah, it's it's it, Vince is not happy with the uh, the clientele of the uh, of the pool hall and tries no. to send. Carmen home and she kind of riles him up by saying like well I've dated people like that before and Vince is obviously very hot headed he's like emotion led uh, but it's also this they go through this whole interesting like political system of the Paul Hall about who he can and can't play because if you if you beat that guy then that guy will move his money elsewhere and you won't actually be on to like the big jackpot you need to hustle your way up slowly through the ranks so he starts playing with Eddie having sent Carmen home because there's a bit of a bust up and Eddie's obviously great at pool yep uh Paul Newman is such a good foil for Tom Cruise he's so like locked down and kind of sensible but in a fun way 
and Tom Cruise is so kind of energetic and and like almost not over the top, but he's he's very um, vibrant, and him doing all of the vibrant stuff, and him having the T-shirt with his name on is yeah. very funny. <laughs> like him just strutting around with the name Vince is great, and of course he does the no look pool shot, which is cool. Yeah. Um. But he's showing off. So Eddie leaves. He says it's a waste of time and money, and he leaves him there. But then you get like the softer side of Eddie, because he is worried about him. Later on in the motel, he realizes that he he doesn't think he's heard Eddie. Uh, he doesn't think he's heard Vince come back. Um. So he goes to visit Carmen, who is, you know, wearing only a shirt and underwear, yeah. like just has that open shirt, very deliberately scantily clad. And there is sexual tension there, I think, that is like instantly put to bed by like a burst uh, of aggression where like Eddie kind of grabs her and is like, if you want to do it, let's do it. Like, let's have a quick one before Vince comes back. And he puts down the boundaries and and tells her that like he sees the game that she's playing, which I hadn't cottoned on to at that point. I was like, oh, okay. You know, like the first time I watched it, I mean, like, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is a hustle as well. And that's what put me in the mind of everything is like everybody has an angle on something um and it turns out that vince is back at the pool hall playing pool with his fancy cue and he's kind of playing pool just to play pool right he wants to win genuinely and not hustle people there's the i mean it's really famous it's the classic bit where he's playing pool showing off and werewolves of london uh by warren zevon is playing you and i were playing pool at the stag uh, and no, I, I was hustling you. I was, I, well, I was, ages, I was you know? constantly singing Werewolves of London on the understanding that you would eventually get it. Right. <laughs> I was just walking around the pool table going, Did you expect me, to, having not seen the film at this point, uh, to start spinning the pure pool cue around? Yeah, like, yeah, nunchuck? like, like nunchucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone is watching him put on the show. It's kind of unbearable. And he wins, but he didn't hustle. There's, there's a think- great take as well where he, does, he pots five balls in a row. And it's a single, constantly rotating take around the the, yeah. um, the pool the hall. And in between, perfectly doing synchronised, like, dancing and, like, yeah, like, swinging the pool cue around. Singing along to the lyrics as well, yeah. which means they would have had to have played the song on set. Yeah. So Scorsese knows exactly how that song fits into the narrative of, of the scene. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it just it just shows that it's not even like, okay, we've set up the balls so that it's an easy pot for him and we'll do that in one shot. Tom Cruise has to play the shot so that the white ball will go off in a certain way and set him up yeah. for the next shot. It's genuinely good pool playing. Uh, very frustrating that Tom Cruise is just good at everything. Um, well, I'm going to be honest, you should see The Hustler because that, in some ways that is more impressive. Like, Oh, really? What, the Paul actor, Newman playing pool? Yeah, and uh, the actor, uh, I always forget his name. But What about this though, Tom? Hang on. Paul Newman. Paul Cuman. <laughs> Here we go. I love it. <laughs> so Paul Cuman and Minnesota Fats. Uh, <laughs> like Minnesota Fats will literally be breaking and without with no cut, which you might expect from a 1960s film that just wants to kind of get, you know, they could avoid that by just going, oh, he breaks yeah. and a ball goes in a pocket with a cut in between. Minnesota Fats would 
break and go, uh, yeah, nine on the eighth would pop, would hit break, and the the one ball would fly out and go perfectly into the into the pot pocket, like insane. Like, and they would just show multiple takes like that with the actors oh. just being like and getting it perfect. Like, I'm gonna love the hustler. I can tell. I know that in one making the hustler, um, Paul Newman and the actor who played Minnesota Fats uh, got so good at Paul that they genuinely bet each other like for a game outside of the film and Paul Newman put down like $50 in 1961 being like I'm going to walk the floor of this guy and Minnesota Fats or the actor who played him potted all the balls on the table one after the other without a single miss and that was it that was the whole game he never managed to play Paul like Newman never managed to hit another ball in the entire game that's embarrassing isn't it yeah that is embarrassing they they were genuinely that good at playing Paul Um, Eddie is livid with Vince. Mm. Uh, well, not livid, but he he is angry because, he, like, yeah, Vince won a lot of games. He won one hundred and fifty dollars in total. Yeah, he won one hundred and fifty dollars. Um, but but Eddie reminds him he could have made five thousand if he'd hustled. Yeah, if he'd played. If he'd lost a bit, won a bit, lost a bit, won a bit, he could have. If he if, if he'd put his ego aside. He could have made a lot more money. Yeah, and now the town knows how good Vincent is. So now the town is dead to them. Yeah, like they they can't hustle in that town anymore. And there's an interesting speech actually about um about doing projects for money rather than being excited about them, and how Eddie would rather be excited about something than just solely make money off it. And yeah, I feel like that's Paul Newman talking because he was at a period of a, of his career where he was doing a lot of things that were kind of. Less artistically inclined, but probably paid very well. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like there's a little, you know, there, there's a whole meta-narrative to this movie that I find very interesting. Um, it's also at that point that, that Eddie calls his uh, sort of casual girlfriend back home to see if she wants to live with him after they have had their getaway yes. to the Caribbean that he's that he's promised. Um, see, he's, he's committed, but he just doesn't want to... He doesn't exactly. come across like he is. But it comes after that uh, speech about you know doing things because you're excited about them rather mm. than because they're profitable to you, which I think yeah. is a nice sort of thing. It makes him think about home. And it's and um, it's also I think given that you are constantly spending the film wondering who's hustling who out of the three main leads, it is the one time when he's to- when he is talking to his partner. It's the one time that he's actually not hustling someone. Yeah, he has these genuine moments, like kind of peppered throughout the film. Like I think that's maybe it's the, at that point. Maybe it's again later on. But he'll just be on, like on the phone to the partner and just having a nice conversation, being like, "Oh yeah, why don't we go away? Why don't we move in?" Like being vulnerable and not hustling someone. It's just. But then that's that's why I think by the end of the film, no real spoilers, but like you sympathise, I think the most with Eddie as a character. Yeah, absolutely. But I, that's all down to Paul Newman, who is like incredible in in this movie he's like sad and he's funny and he's boisterous and he's sensitive he's like he he's really like, like doing everything in this movie and and he was you know i mean we'll talk about it after after the film but he was rewarded as such as well yes um breakfast the following morning after their kind of argument about uh, not hustling properly Vince is like a new man. They plan a hustle. It's so good. It plays out like a heist. Um, Vincent goes in and starts losing, and Carmen and Eddie are there as a couple, making fun of him and being belligerent. And it again blurs the line between part of the hustle and what is real, mm-hmm. because I genuinely think Vince 
is angry that oh, Eddie yeah. has his hands all over Carmen. They argue um, Eddie bets $500 on uh, Vince's opponent and then the bartender doubles it. So they win the money when Vince loses. Like they're all part of that same pot. And it turns out it was a bit real because Vince gets really aggressive with both of them after. And Eddie says it's acting. And it just sets up again. Vince is very emotion-led and hot-headed. And then there's like a really nice montage of them pulling hustles. They're hustling. Uh, and Iggy Pop shows up. Yeah, <laughs> Iggy Pop's in it for like 30 seconds. Sure, why not? Um, the screaming distraction is very funny. Where he's just like going, ah, ah, and like screaming in their faces as they exit the bar. Uh, it's all part of this like long sort of uh, montage. But at one place, they see the best pool player in the world. And Eddie tells Vince to play him and dump the match. Like a humiliating defeat. Because what it will do is it will reset the odds on him. Yeah. Because Vincent has been getting a bit of a reputation. And if he loses to this player they can now make more money off of any bets on him. Um, he plays, but the best player in the world starts goading Vincent, and Vince is trying to hold it together, but he can't do it. There's two incredible shots where Vincent starts... It's when he starts potting uh, balls properly and, and is thinking, like, he, he's letting his ego take over. Like, it's a close-up on Cruz. He pots a ball, and then the focus pulls to his girlfriend and then it's another shot of Cruz possible and then the focus pulls to Paul Newman as they're like watching him basically fuck the hustle up yeah um and then Vince just like crushes him and there's some really like incredible like artistic dissolve work with the film there's like three images laid over each other of like a close-up of Paul Newman and a long shot of Paul Newman watching Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise playing pool, and they're all overlaid each other at the same time. So you're seeing all three images at the same time. Uh, Mind Scorsese, visual storyteller, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I would not like. I don't like dissolve style stuff. I don't like dissolves. No, but it really works it. here. Didn't hate yeah. it. Yeah, really works. And then Carmen lays down the law. She's actually the one that can control Vince, and it's not mm. Eddie. Uh, after all, because she goes up to him and kisses him and says, uh, if you win another match, you're going to be humping your fist for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and so he does lose, but like she, slightly she can gracefully, him. isn't it? She can hustle him in the way that Eddie can't because he, she can hustle him emotionally. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the next day, Eddie asks for the Balabushka so that he can just go and play. And he just, I, I mean, it's very cool what he does. He just walks into the pool table, screws his pool together, uh, cue together, and then just lays $100 on the table and waits for someone to come and challenge yeah. him. Um, and it's and he, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, he plays all day until he's eventually playing Forrest Whitaker, and they play for ages. And it turns out that Forrest Whitaker is a hustler. Yeah, and he continues to. He's not sure, but he continues to play him, and he loses, and he couldn't recognize it, and it just shows like how out of touch Eddie mm. is. Like it's the first time he's maybe like it's not the first time he's played pool, but it's the first time he's gone out and played pool for money in in a very very long time, and he got uh he got fucked by yeah. a hustler. Now, he loses like four hundred dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, and an interesting little thought I had, right? So. Uh, originally, Minnesota Fats was going to be in the film. 
they were going to bring back Minnesota Fats for the they film. They tried to insert him and it didn't work, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. The, and the actor was approached, but the actor was like, I don't think this is organic enough for the character or something, so I don't yeah. want to do it. I wonder if Minnesota Fats would have had some relation to Forrest Whitaker's character. Oh, maybe. And, and there's one little line, right? So the whole time in The Hustler, despite the fact the guy's called Minnesota Fats, and I'm going to presume that's not his actual name, and... Guess what? <laughs> Minnesota Fats is a large gentleman. Okay, yeah. Right? Eddie repeatedly calls him Fat Man throughout the entire film. Sure. Because, you know, different oh, time. Oh, you're going to talk about the line, do you think I need to lose some weight? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if that little knowledge, that that because he says it so knowingly, like it's it's got to mean something more. It's his last interaction with him, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. once uh, Eddie has handed over the $400 he's been... Uh, hustled out of Forrest yeah. Whitaker says like do you think I need to lose some weight yeah and I yeah. wonder if that originally stemmed from him being tutored by Minnesota Fats and the fact that he kept calling him Fat Man that's really interesting I, should, I, I will look into that and I'll report back on Twitter for Ooh. people listening to this now that's an interesting little thought yeah um, there's the image and sound of the literal ball dropping <laughs> like when um when Eddie is like gutted that he's lost and he's just kind of in shock from it, he puts the white ball into the pocket and they let that moment play out where the three of them, Eddie, Vince and Carmen, are just stood at the pool table and you can hear the ball going, goom, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, of, of the literal like moment landing with Eddie yeah. um, where he's like, I'm past it. And so he sends Carmen and Eddie off on their own with a few thousand dollars because he's washed up. And then... There's a huge like confrontation between them and they're arguing about it. And it's some of the best acting that I think we've seen on this podcast so far. Watching yeah. Tom Cruise and Paul Newman go head-to-head like that with no real close-ups. Again, Scorsese is just letting the interaction kind of guide the cinematography and just letting it happen uh, in front of us. Really great. Really great acting. Uh, probably one of the best bits of the film for me. And Tom Cruise rips a stair railing off the wall. Yeah, which can't have been. I mean, like, I don't think that was necessarily planned. No, I think like I, I'm looking at the uh, like the screw that came out of the wall, and I'm like, that yeah. looked to be pretty deep in there. Like, yeah, <laughs> like he, like you can't repair that. That's not just a touch up. You're like, oh, better put that back. Like that's he rips a metal stair railing. Yeah, out of yeah. a wooden wall. <laughs> in and not in like a multiple. I'm going to get this off. Like he grabs it and in one movement rips the whole thing off and then storms off off scene (laughs) and interestingly right i'd have thought in a legacy sequel like this in a passing the torch movie we would now follow vince we'd follow tom cruise's character what he's going to do but we don't we stay with eddie we stay with paul newman's character because he's cooler well he is cooler yeah but he he also just seems to I guess I guess the internal decision of the character is that he needs to get better at pool rather than better at recognizing hustlers yeah. because he now starts like training himself at the pool hall where his friend is a manager. Yeah. And he goes to the opticians. There is there is a fantastic and I mean this did make me laugh because I, I, there's something about the editing of this but the fact that he's obviously needs to get better at his, he needs to get his eyesight better and get back into shape, etc., to be better at pool. But suddenly he's in a swimming pool. Yes. And, and he comes out of the water. <laughs> to an eye test. <laughs> yeah. It's a great piece of editing. Like, yeah. it's great, but it's also 
it's like it's right on the line of like comical yeah it did make me go wait what the fuck <laughs> yeah so it, and the swimming pool has it you can't immediately tell whether it's paul newman or like tom cruise oh, yeah some other guy it's just yeah, a guy yeah. in a swimming pool and then suddenly emerge and eye test <laughs> static eye test like it's so surreal but yeah Great. But he is kind of giving in to his age, getting into shape, going to the opticians, and uh, yeah. then he plays the guy that Vince played when he was there, the guy that he didn't hustle properly and won less money to. Um, and he loses, but maybe deliberately, because then, mm. is it, doesn't he go right back to hustling? Well, it loops round, doesn't it? Because you, you see him do match after match after match, and it seems like he's losing money, but then it sort of loops back where he seems to be taking more money back from yeah them. and again you're not sure is is this telling me that he's getting better or is it telling me that he's hustling yeah like is it it's both yeah exactly exactly does he know that he's not very good so he's doing as best he can he's not doing mm-hmm. that well but over the course of like a month or so he's getting really really good again it's a very interesting montage it leaves you unsure of actually what he was training to do and what he what he's capable of when he's when he's finished. Mm. Um, and then he goes to a casino, which I assume is in Atlantic City, yes, for yeah, a Atlantic tournament, yeah. which Scorsese shoots like a church. Uh, obviously, Scorsese and religion, there's a big connection there. Um, and he runs into his old protege in the practice room, uh, who seems to be surprised that Eddie is playing. And Eddie wins his first match. There's that, there's that guy who's like, I didn't so deserve good. that. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes, yeah. Such a good line. <laughs> yes, you did. And in the bar that evening at the uh, at the tournament, he overhears Vince and Carmen hustling another player, and Vince is like unpleasant. He's yeah. really let it all like go to his head. Uh, he's quite unpleasant to Carmen, and yeah, because like, he's like, "Why did you go for twelve hundred? We could have gone for fifteen easily." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. okay, you know, it's it's not the end of the world, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's quite unpleasant, but he does see Eddie and they catch up. Um, Vince leaves, but Carmen and Eddie talk, and Carmen says that he was right, and they uh, they didn't need him anymore. And Eddie doesn't take an offer to be involved in the hustles that they're pulling in the practice room. Right? There's there's a line earlier yeah. where like you can play a tournament and win a certain amount in uh, the prize money, but in the practice rooms you can win ten times that amount. So that's obviously what Vince is there to do. He invites his uh, his partner down, and she comes to stay with him with with Eddie in the hotel and gives him a nice uh, chalk thing. Is that something? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it. I think that's. I think that's just for this film. I don't. Okay. Think okay. Cool. Back on cool. I thought it seemed like a legacy thing. It seemed like she was handing yeah. him a lightsaber or something like that. You're only or, supposed to go. Oh, that's Luke's lightsaber. No, it's, it's the dice that hangs from the Han Solo's uh, Millennium Falcon. In that right. Film. Yeah. Exactly. I they thought it was going something like that, but no. Okay. Good. I, th- I think it's just to show that not only is are they in a genuinely nice romantic relationship that's healthy. Yeah. But she actually also takes an interest in. And supports him. It's like 25 years, he's going back to something that she'll know that he was notoriously good at, Mm. but has fallen from grace. And so she's like, hey, I've got you this thing to support. It's just nice. It's like nice people being nice in a film full of (laughs) horrible people. Yeah, it's a nice little oasis in a desert of mean people. Um, Then you get like a montage of, like, like we were saying earlier, Scorsese's like allusions to montage cinema, like the, all the pool balls like flying across the screen and, and, and the montage of the matches and stuff. Um, and then, of course, you get the match, which you would, which in any other movie, 
would be this is the final of the tournament for the big prize mm. money it's eddie versus vince but it's just like i think it's a quarter final yeah right and it's just them playing it's just a match there's long-ish one-shot sequences of them actually playing and it's really cool and eddie wins and vince is kind of upset about that and kind of strops off and there's a really nice moment where newman uh Eddie, Paul Newman's character, Eddie. Yeah. I've got to get better at that. Paul Cuman. Paul Cu- Paul Cuman uh, is uh, tidying up his pool cue, and he leaves the arena, and he's being very nice, and he's going, yes, thank you, yes, I won, yes, yes, thank you, thank you very much to the audience. And all the people who are like, it's point out all the all the judges know exactly who fast Eddie Felton or yeah yeah was. they yeah. they know exactly who he is and they're all just like yes here he he's, is he's, he's back. a legend and 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 he's been very cool about me like yes thank you thank you very much and then he steps outside of the uh, thing and goes like yes yeah. he has like that moment of celebration because he beat Eddie uh, yeah because he beat Vince um, and then Vince and Carmen visit Eddie in his hotel room and they give him his cut of the money because Vince actually lost the match on purpose and bet against himself. Which is devastating because he's gloating about it, being like, I just did exactly what you told me, Eddie. And Eddie is genuinely gutted that he didn't genuinely win the match. Um, And Eddie tries to continue the tournament now doubting his abilities there's a really good shot where he sees himself in the reflection of a pool ball and sees kind of, I guess, how old he is. Yeah. And just forfeits. And he gives the money back to Vince, who is in the audience. Carmen tries to track him down to give him back the money, but all Eddie wants is Vince's best game. So they meet in the green room. There's a bit of a confrontation. Eddie says they're going to play. And Vince is like, well, what are you going to do if I beat you? And Eddie's like, I'll I'll beat you again the next time. Or the next time. Or the next time. Whenever we meet at uh, these different tournaments. Or I'll beat you the one after that. And then he says, because I'm back. And it freeze, freeze frame. frames on him and then credits. And it's yes. so good. <laughs> and you're like, yes, he is back. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. it, and it's just such a lovely moment because you realise that, like, despite the fact that he's been the hustler for two films, all it really comes down to is the fact that he is addicted to playing Paul. He and loves being the best Paul. at Paul. Yeah. It doesn't matter about the money. It's about showing that he can beat everybody else because he's really good at the thing he loves doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there's so much going on in this movie. Um, I guess we're coming to like our like scores and stuff. Like, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, it's it's a great almost like we were saying at the beginning. It's almost like a three way character study, and Scorsese is so good at that stuff. Like the reason he dislikes the Marvel movies for not being a psychological exploration of its subjects is because he's so good at doing psychological explorations of the subjects of movies. Um, and I think he understands how to use Tom Cruise. I think I think Tony Scott in Top Gun misused his like weird charm, but his weird charm works here. And Paul Newman is amazing. He knows exactly how to play against Tom Cruise. He's so understated and he's locked in. 
Uh, and he just understands how to play against that kind of showboating character and still somehow be the coolest person on screen. Um, I mean, the, the film is not without its problems. Like, there's, there is a bit of a sag in the middle, uh, I think. It, it the, does, the classic it, saggy middle. Yeah, it has hustlers. a classic saggy middle. Um, and it is ultimately, like, although it is a character study, it doesn't delve in as deep as perhaps it could. Mm. Um, and also, it's pretty lightweight. It has a lot to say about the characters that are in it. But it, it's kind of also a pretty light, lightweight kind of movie. Um, I think it's great, though. I gave it a four out of five. I also give it a four out of five. And part of me feels... We're twinning. We're twinning. Well, part of me feels like it could go to a 4.5. In the same way that I gave The Hustler 3.5, yeah. 3. even though I think it's arguably a better film than this. But I enjoy this more. Tom, it's, I considered it as 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 we were talking it through and we yeah. were exploring the themes. I was like, do you know what? This is a this is a better movie than I thought it was. And I even typed in point five, and I was like, no, stay true to your original. But then I'm thinking, should we do it? Should we both go up to a four point five? I think so because it is a genuinely it. great film. So yeah, lovely. 4.5. Both four point five. Lovely. We'll we'll edit our letterbox to review yes. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Hurriedly. <laughs> it was always Quickly. four point five. <laughs> this was a hustle. Everyone thought we were gonna give it a four. <laughs> but no. Nah. You got hustled. Game. Read yeah. my read my letterbox review. You'll understand that you got hustled. Yeah, my nineteen followers on letterbox are gonna feel so duped. <laughs> <laughs> what about cruiseness though? Well, See, now this is a difficult one. And again, I was kind of fluctuating on this when we were talking about it. But I feel like, on one hand, it's Maximum Cruise because he is dancing around the pool table. He's so cruise. Perfectly in sync, singing along to stuff, flipping his nunchucks, pool cue around, potting balls perfectly like an actual professional pool player. And that is the epitome of the Tom Cruise dedication and charm. On the other hand... I don't think I can give it maximum points because he is overshadowed quite understandably by Paul Newman. Yes. Yes. Even though I go I base it on the cruiseness of the performance, his performance still is in the shadow. Both in terms of like ability and charisma mm. by Paul Newman. Completely agree. Yeah. So my cruiseness rating is a admirable but not perfect eight out of ten. Interesting, interesting. You're right. This film like this film lives and breathes on the energy between Cruz and Newman. But also, I, I think Newman is making Cruz, like, up his game. Yeah. Cruz couldn't just come in and do what he was doing in losing it, you know, <laughs> oh with, like, like, opposite Paul Newman. You you just can't. You can't, you can't even come in and do what he was doing during Risky Business opposite Paul Newman. You've got to up it. No. Um, I do think... That there, I don't think it's a perfect cruise performance. I do think there's a level of nervous energy that is leaking its way into the film, which I think does work for the character. But I just see it as as Tom Cruise himself being slightly unsure of who he wants to be. And I think that actually the next film that we're going to cover is where he nails who he wants to be for the rest of his career. But we'll save right. that for 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 cocktail uh next yeah. week. Um there's so many scenes in this where the energy is like palpable. Scorsese really understands how to shoot actors and give them time to find scenes. And he yeah, he's bringing that energy. I, I also gave him an eight out of ten 
for Christmas. Nice. Yeah. Would you recommend this movie? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I would fully recommend this movie. I mean, this is the best movie we've seen so far, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, great. Risky Business is still right up there. Oh, I think I think Risky Business but, is great, but this just yes. tips, yeah. tips Risky because Business. This film is good enough that I want to go back and work my way through Scorsese's back catalogue of films. You gotta, man. Which obviously... You got to. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be listening and thinking, well, obviously, why didn't you want to do that anyway? (laughs) But I mean, I've seen Taxi Driver, and I thought it was great. I saw King of Comedy, I thought it was great. Wolf of Wall Street, I love. The Irishman, I thought was great, even if I wasn't like... I thought it was well-made, even if I wasn't... Yeah, you're not into it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is, I think, the one where I've watched it, and I've gone, it can be really fun. Like, Taxi Driver wasn't just... You know, a fluke. Yeah. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, like you, you can get You know what? Honestly, Tom, Goodfellas. That's gotta yeah. be your next port of call. I actually don't really like Goodfellas, right? But it's so well made. It's a lot of fun while still dealing with psychological stuff and dark aspects of of mm. um of the life of a gangster. Yeah. Uh, Goodfellas. Great like, yeah, honestly, do it. I know a lot of people in Goodfellas uh went on to I thought at least some of them went on to act in The Sopranos, right? I don't know. I've I got, think there's a I've couple. No idea. All you need to know is uh, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. This, you know, uh, I don't like it. I would watch it every week. It's such a watchable film. Um, this film, though, The Colour of Money, it was released to sort of favourable reviews. Like, it's genuinely well regarded. Uh, it grossed $52 million off of a budget of $14.5 million, which for a drama in the 1980s, that's a success, yeah. I reckon. You know, that's, 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 a, that's a healthy uh, profit. It was nominated for Oscars as well. Uh, Paul Newman was nominated for Best Actor. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And the film was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Art Direction. Now, Paul Newman wins Best Actor. Now, I think this is a great performance, but there is also something like Paul Newman hadn't won an Oscar yet. Everyone felt a bit guilty about that. Yeah, so so Paul Newman gets the Oscar as yeah. a recognition of his contribution to film over like three decades, right? Yeah, and yeah. and it's interesting because like he he is good in um in the Hustler, obviously, uh, but it's it's also a very different acting style because it was a very different form of cinema in mm. some ways. Like 1961, you've got people talking in a slightly faster than natural way in a slightly less natural way than you would actually communicate. Like everyone's it's much, really, much more theatrical, isn't it? Yeah, it's snappy and, and over the top, and, and it's not realistic. Um, and that can work great to, to create that sense of charm. But it's also kind of difficult, at least from a modern perspective, to really see, like, how good is that? Because, yeah. because it's not authentic in the way that we consider something an authentic performance. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as emotionally maybe as involved as some other performances we would see today. And so it's really interesting to see him in that film and then to then play a character 25 years later that is still very fundamentally the same character, but played in a completely different, like, acting style. That's very interesting. Fundamentally. That's right. I'm looking forward to digging into The Hustler, actually, and and making that comparison. That's really interesting. And And it works really well because of the time difference. Like, every human being is going to be different when they're, like... 60 to when they were 35 
Unless you're Tom Cruise. Unless you're Tom Cruise. It's yeah, exactly who, the who's same. the same? Who's the same? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but Paul Cuman is going to be... Paul Cuman? He's going to be drastically different. No, I think I think you'll find it really interesting. But it's also really interesting the fact that he, yeah, he is kind of considered that maybe he should have won an Oscar for The Hustler. Right, yeah. Or, you know, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, The Sting... Sure. You know, all, all of these movies, Cool Hand Luke, that, that like he's incredible in. I, th- I think that Oscar, as deserving as he is, because this is a great performance. Yeah, it's in recognition. It, it's a, like a legacy award, isn't yeah. it? Kind of. Well, if you combine the two films, because if you imagine it, he's playing a, he's doing one performance over twenty five years of right, a, young, yeah. a young man's game with the cockiness, and then an old man who has to kind of recapture that, and the acting spread across those two films is worthy of an Oscar, probably. <laughs> Probably just a little, a little I caveat. Don't, I don't know what the alternatives were. I don't know what he was up against. Just a no. little caveat there. Interestingly, uh, Paul Newman in this movie is about sixty-two, right? So only a couple of years off of Tom Cruise is do you reckon, now. Do you reckon we're going to get a Hustler three? Well, no, I don't. Well, Tom maybe. <laughs> well, you were saying like, are we going to get an Oscar-worthy performance? This from is Tom my Cruise? point. Like, Tom Cruise is kind of owed one of those legacy Oscars for yeah. his contribution to cinema, right? But he's also getting to the age where he'll be able to like start or have to start taking on the roles where he yeah. plays more like the the wise elder sort of figure. I'd love to see Tom Cruise in roles like that. That would be really interesting. But that leans into character studies rather than. This man can run up the side of a skyscraper. It's about yeah. like, well, this man can't run up the side of a skyscraper, but he can deliver a really nuanced performance about the experience of growing old and being good at something. So if they, did, if someone talented, like a really good director, made The Hustler Three, you probably could make another really good film. Yeah, and Tom Cruise would get his legacy at, uh, yeah. Oscar for it because he's been nominated a number of times and never won. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I have to say, not a huge cultural footprint on the color of money. Uh, no. Like I said at the beginning, I'm a Tom Cruise fan, and a couple of years ago, I only found this because I was interested in seeing some Paul Newman films. And it's also a bit of a lesser Scorsese as well. Like when you say Martin Scorsese, you think Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, uh, Goodfellas. You don't necessarily think The Color of Money. So interesting that it hasn't maybe penetrated in in, in the way that you would think a film as good as this maybe maybe should have done. Uh, which which about wraps it up, except. Oh, of course. We do, of course, have our one one thing that we do need to do uh, before we leave. Yes. Well, so each week, we, uh, well, one, only one of us is allowed to look at the IMDb trivia page for the film in question. Uh, and from that page, we have uh, two truths, i.e. things that are definitely true, and one lie, which uh, is not true. And it is up to the other person to decide which is which. This is Two Cruths and a Lie. Why are you pronouncing it like that? <laughs> because it's the worst. We've got we've we have to write down how to explain this game. It's such a weirdly complicated thing for something so simple. I know it, it's just two truths and a lie, which everybody yeah. knows. Uh anyway, right, yeah. Right. So it's it's your turn. It's, I'm 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 yeah. gonna be receiving yes, from, this, from Tom Ashford. This week oh god. Ooh, uh, <laughs> This week it was my turn to uh, peruse the facts. And, uh, <laughs> peruse the facts. Peruse the facts. Uh, so, number one. Now, let's see if you can work these out, Adam. Okay, number one. all right. 
Iggy Pop makes a cameo appearance as one of the poor players they encounter whilst on the road. I've looked at the page. I'm not going back over it, Adam. Mm. You don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an inflection in the way I've delivered that sentence that let that, me that might think. Be, uh, <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Number two. The founders of id Software got the name for the video game Doom from the scene in which Tom Cruise is asked what's in his cue uh, case, and he replies, Doom. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, that really, that really smells like you just heard the word Doom in the movie and thought, Doom. Like, I'll just that, make something up about that. Yeah, that'll Doom. Oh, <laughs> number three. Nicholas Cage auditioned for the role of Vincent, but once again lost out in favour of Tom Cruise. <sighs> okay, so every week are we getting a piece of Nicholas Cage-related trivia? You might. <laughs> Until one day we do a Nicholas Cage podcast. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. Every single one. Um... Um, 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 So, okay, so our, like, our rules on not reading the IMDb trivia page are, are like not infallible because i have not read the uh the imdb trivia page but obviously sure. i've done some research on this film so that we can yeah. talk about it so i'm aware sometimes, of sometimes some the of wikipedia the wikipedia page for example yeah. says things that you can find sure. on the trivia page i have heard lots of interesting casting ideas for this movie including jim carrey i think at one point i did not come across nicholas cage's name I think that the lie is that Iggy Pop was in this movie. Oh, for fuck's sake, Adam. <laughs> are, are you going to... Yeah, locking in. You're locking in with Lock it in. Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid, Adam, as you stated earlier, you silly Billy, oh, Iggy Pop is no. in the movie, in a cameo, as you explicitly no. described. How could you make that, that error, Adam? I've even got it written down in my notes, Tom. I know. You okay. silly, silly Billy. Okay, but in the spirit of this film, right, yeah. next week, double or nothing, right? Sure. So if, if if I lose, I don't owe you any money, all right? Right. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. I am absolutely uh, beside myself that I got that wrong. But that is, of course, how uh, and when we play Two Crews and a Lie. <laughs> Tom, that's it, man. What, uh, yeah. what, what a cool movie! Best movie we've seen so far. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining me, Thomas, Adam, <laughs> Thomas, uh, and thank you, listeners, uh, for joining us as well. You should come and let us know uh, what you think of the film. You know, this was our opinion of the film. Come and let us know what you think of the movie. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook at Cruise Views Pod. And if you want to email in some longer thoughts that we can read out uh, on the podcast, maybe you've got some thoughts about a movie that we're going to cover in the future, email us, cruiseviewspodcast at gmail.com. But until then, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Cocktail before next week's episode. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. (laughs) 